beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in all the old stories, there's this theme, and I've mentioned it before in sermons, this theme of the young maiden who is in danger, and then the prince comes and slays the dragon, and he rescues the maiden, and he makes her a princess, and at the end, there's a wedding feast and a celebration. That's a theme which goes through the old stories and variations of that theme in many modern stories as well. And there's a reason for that, because it reflects the story of the world. It reflects the real story. And you know who the young maiden is. It is the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ. And you know who the prince is. It is the son of God himself who became flesh so that he could wrestle with the the powers of darkness and die for sin and be raised up to a new life and to bring that life to us. And today we're at the rehearsal dinner. Today we celebrate that preliminary anticipatory feast which foreshadows the great feast, the great wedding feast of the Lamb. And our text comes this morning from the Song of Solomon, which is a scriptural instruction guide for love. This book is put in the Holy Scripture to teach us as children of God how our intimate relationships ought to reflect the holy and divine love of God. And that's the first layer, the first level at which this book comes to us. But it's not just that. Like all of the scripture, the Song of Solomon also has another deeper layer which points to the Lord Jesus Christ, his person and his work. You remember what the Lord Jesus said to the disciples in Luke 24 after his resurrection, and they were still trying to figure out what had just happened. And then he opened the scriptures to them. And from the entire Old Testament, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Because every page of Scripture speaks about and points to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Song of Solomon, too, points to Christ. And obviously, the the most clear connection is the connection that Paul makes in Ephesians chapter 5, where he's talking about marriage, about husbands and wives loving one another. And then he says, this is a, a profound mystery. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And so the Apostle Paul makes the connection, the link between a holy and a healthy and a godly and a loving marriage and a holy, intimate love between a a husband and wife. And that reflects the relationship between Jesus and the church. So the most powerful and intimate and committed love possible between two human beings is a picture of the most powerful and intimate and committed love which exists between the Lord Jesus Christ and his beloved bride. Now, in the verses before our text, they're trading delightful words with one another about how much they they love one another and need one another. And the the bride, the, the young maiden in chapter 2, verse 1, she says, I'm a, I'm a rose of Sharon. Now, that's not the rose of Sharon that you can buy in the garden center here in Alberta. It's not the same plant. It was a, a flower, a common flower, which would just 
be all over the valleys, would carpet the valleys in the time of the rains. And she's saying, well, I'm a flower, I'm just one amongst many. What's so special about me? And he says, oh, no, look at verse 2. As a lily among brambles, my love, that's who you are. You stick out. All the other girls look like thorn bushes to me compared to you. My love is for you, and I have eyes for you alone. That's how we see our wives, right, brothers? We have eyes for her alone. That is true love. And that is the way that the Lord Jesus looks at the church. He delights in her. She is the apple of his eye. And then she responds, verse 3, as an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. Well, you're special too. You're different than all the others. There are maybe all kinds of trees, but, but you give shade and protection and refreshment and, and nourishment. And all the other trees can't compare to what you are to me. And then we come to our text, which is verse 4. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. And now, if I was preaching through the Song of Solomon, we would first walk through the first layer, which is about human relationships. We're not going to do that this morning. We're going to go straight to the, the, the other layer, the deeper layer, which points to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I'm going to focus on this morning. And notice who's doing what, and notice who's taking the initiative, and notice who is the subject of the verb. He brought me, she says. This is sovereign grace. Jesus came to us. We love because he first loved us, says the scripture. He came, he drew us to himself. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us why. Because before the beginning of time, before the creation existed, God loved us in Christ with an eternal love. And in time and in space, he has lavished this love and this grace upon us. And he is the reason that we're here. We weren't so smart that we chose to be part of the church of the living God. We weren't so good that we just decided, yes, I'm, I'm going to decide to join myself to, to the Lord Jesus and to uh, the believers. We are here because of the work of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. He brought us. He drew us to himself. And he brought us into the banqueting house. Now, the, literally, the Hebrew says the house of wine. It's a house of celebration. Now, back in chapter 1, she said to him, your love is better than wine. And it's important to keep things in the right order, isn't it, in life. The way that God made the world, the world is a beautiful place when things are in the right place and things are in the right order and things are used for the function that God intended in the structure of creation. And so wine is a wonderful thing. Wine gladdens the heart of man, says the scripture. Wine is a servant, and it is not a master. And so wine serves to celebrate something greater. Wine serves to celebrate true love. And when wine or any other thing that God created to give joy and pleasure, when it becomes our master, then 
we are saying to God, my wine is better than your love. And that's a very bad place to be. Whether it's wine or any other type of alcohol or any kind of drug or even other created things like sexual pleasure or pornography, other things that, that grip our hearts and that addict us, then what we're saying to God is this thing is my God. And that's sin against the first commandment. And so in our text, we don't have that. In our text, we have the bride of Christ. She is brought into the banqueting house. She's brought to a place of celebration. And she knows what the wine is for. It is to gladden her heart to celebrate the love of the bridegroom. And so she says, his banner over me was love. Now, the word banner here is the word for a military standard. And a military standard is a flag which would be raised up high above the, the different military units where they were camped, but also in the ancient battles when they went into battle. You'll have the standard barrier that would carry the flag of the unit and would be near to the commanding officer. And that served a purpose because in all the noise and the tumult and the confusion of battle and the fog of war, Sometimes you, you would lose your bearings and say, well, where are the good guys and where are the bad guys? And then you would look for your standard high above the battle and you would rally to the flag, you would rally to your captain, you would rally to your comrades. And it was also a declaration of victory and ownership. When a king or a captain or a general would take a city, then he would hoist the flag high above the city and declare who had conquered it and who now governed the city. And so here, his banner is over me. His banner over me was love. The church has been conquered by love. That's important. The church is not the fruit of violence or coercion. The church is not a bunch of people that are being treated like pawns in a chessboard by a, a, a God who is just cold and, and just is basically an eternal set of rules and decrees. The church is not a group of people subjugated under the heel of an oppressor or of legalism. No, the church is gathered by love himself. God is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And to the, the, the Old Testament church, God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 31. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That is the banner. The banner of God which waves high above the church and which tells everyone the church is mine. The church is mine by right of conquest. I warn her back from the enemy. She is under my protection. She belongs to me. Now, what is this banner, which is the representation of God's everlasting love, which is the standard to which all the believers rally? Is it not the gospel of Christ and the Christ of the gospel? Where Christ is present in the word and the sacraments, there the church gathers. It is there that the believers rally together. 
This is where God's love is made known and proclaimed and experienced and made manifest in the world. What does the psalmist say? We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. Because this is where we feel safe, in his presence. Psalm 144, verse 2, He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield and he in whom I take refuge. And so in all the noise and the tumult and the confusion of battle in this fallen world, we rally to the standard and we look Where is Christ lifted up high? Where is Christ proclaimed? Where is Christ present? And every believer must seek the true church of Christ, the true preaching, the faithful administration of the sacraments, because that is where we need to be. And the day that Christ is not proclaimed from this pulpit is the day when God calls us to go somewhere else. Because what rallies us is not our history, our shared experiences, our family ties, or our nice building. But what rallies us together is Christ. And we celebrate. We celebrate as we come, as we rally to the flag of the gospel. We celebrate the love of God, the protection of God, that God has dealt with our enemies and that our prince has slain the dragon and that we're preparing for the eternal feast. We are safe. I'm going to read a few verses from Zephaniah chapter 3 right now. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 14 to 17. That's on page 790 in your ESV Bible. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. You see what the scripture says, brother and sister. We rejoice in God. God rejoices in us because of Christ. He celebrates over us. And he celebrates with us. And that's why Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding. Where he made an abundance of wine to gladden the heart of man. And he was making a statement by making that his first miracle. And that statement is reflected in the form that we've been reading in this service. Let us rejoice and give God the glory for the marriage feast of the Lamb is coming. That's what this meal says today. That God has love and joy and delight in us because he sees in us his own beloved son. And he 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rejoices with us as we feast together and celebrate his victory over sin. This is the banner which declares to the world that we are in Christ. And so Jesus commanded us in John chapter 13 that his love towards us ought to be reflected in our love towards one another. Just as I have loved you, said Jesus, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How can St. Albert, how can Sturgeon County know that here is a church of the living God, the bride of Christ, a gathering of unworthy sinners redeemed by grace and loved by God. How can our neighbors and our community know that here can be found the love of God? Not in the first place by the beautiful sign that was just put up. That helps, but not in the first place by the sign but rather by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Brother, sister, this is a time to reflect and take stock. Does the love of God ravish our souls? Does it leave us breathless and overwhelmed, sick with love, faint with love, is it just too much when we reflect on who God is and what he has done for us in Jesus Christ? Can we sing with our hearts what we will sing with our lips shortly after this sermon? Psalm 63, stanza 2, your steadfast love is better than life itself. Can we really say that in our hearts? Your steadfast love is better than life itself, O oh God, my Savior. Better than life itself. What are you willing to give up for love? Time? Convenience? Comfort? Things? Money? Reputation? True love is ready to give up everything. True love gives up that which is most precious, life itself. True love does not count the cost. True love will spare nothing. True love says, I must be with him. I must know him. I must be close to him. And how we love him and whether we love him is demonstrated in how and whether we love the brothers and sisters. What does the scripture say? If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. What does the scripture say? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You know, if you go through the scriptures and you look up all the references to love, there are just so many references. 
And there are so many things that the Scripture tells us about us and love and our relationship to it. The love of God has been poured out into our hearts. The love of God compels us, as the Scripture. The love of God controls us. We are to walk in love. We are to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. We are to love the brotherhood. We are to stir one another up to love. We are to pursue love. And we are to put on the breastplate of faith and love. And we are to increase and abound in love. Beloved, as we celebrate the feast, as our hearts are gladdened by the wine and our bodies nourished by the bread and our souls rejoice in Christ and are fed by the love of Christ himself, how do we see each other? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. We don't fellowship based on tribalism of any type. We don't fellowship based on groups that are identified because people are our relatives or have the same skin color or the same ethnicity or the same socioeconomic class or the same political opinions or the same uh, uh, or, or the same opinions on, on public health policy on medical status. Those aren't the things which define our fellowship. The love of God compels us. And we seek one another. And we delight to be with one another in Christ. And if we allow any other question to divide us or to define our communion and we push each other away, then that thing, then that criterion has become another God. And we have abandoned the faith and we have denied the work and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and we have trampled under our feet the blood of the covenant by which we were sanctified. Now we're facing a lot of challenges to our communion in Christ. There's a lot of distress and affliction in the world around us. A lot of conflict, a lot of anger. And in the midst of the turmoil and confusion of this fallen world, we believers rally to the banner of God's love. And we take refuge under the protection of God's love. And we find each other and we hold on to each other in the power of God's love. What does the scripture say, Romans 8, 35 to 39? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or anything else? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. And for this reason, says the apostle, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Come, take, eat, remember, and believe. Amen.